Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And we are closing out that year. I know it's the secular new year, uh, but it's also the political year. Uh, no way around it. You know, as we know what's important to us, we talk about Rosh Hashanah, of course, being the, the new year, but... Uh, you know, politics has to have its end, has to have its beginning in some way, in some definition, and uh, that would be the uh, secular new year. So we we look back, you know, it's time for a solo show to kind of take stock, look at those stories, look at what happened, and uh, we don't need to go too far to think about, well, all politics being cyclical, and I say this often, I say this whether it's on this show, I say this interviewed on other shows and elsewhere, that politics is cyclical. Just watch. And uh, we saw it this year, right? I mean, you have this sense of euphoria, perhaps, that the Democrats had coming into 2021. Uh, of course, tempered by January 6th a little bit. And what happened then? We'll get into that in a couple seconds. But this sense of euphoria, Joe Biden ascendant, he won 81 million votes. The country was definitely tilting towards a more liberal direction. There was this sense of racial justice, this sense of we can, we have to combat the pandemic with higher taxes and more spending. And that was going to be the key, all these liberal priorities. And guess what happened? We are actually getting to the end of the year with no build back better massive social spending bill law. And that doesn't mean that Washington hasn't once again spent way beyond its means. That doesn't mean that some of these priorities have shifted somewhat. The fiscal discipline has you know, finally found a home once again amongst Republicans, but it hadn't for a while, certainly during the Trump years. But, 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 the massive, massive, at one time, maybe $6 trillion that Bernie Sanders, then $3 trillion or $4 trillion, is now really not happening. And the infrastructure bill, which should have happened very early on, as we all know, uh, would have been smart for Biden, would have been smart for the Democrats, would have been smart for Washington in general to have gotten that passed in a bipartisan fashion. That didn't, uh, that did happen after a lot of pain after a lot of suffering legislatively, after a lot of uh, cost uh, to it and Republican for Republican support in the House in particular, and a lot of backlash. And infrastructure should be good. Infrastructure is should be good for everybody. We should look look at the supply chain crisis and the fact that we don't have the proper infrastructure in our ports and our roads and our railways to get goods where they need to be for the economy to flourish as it needs to happen. It should have been so easy. But the big question you should be asking yourself is what happened to the Democrats? What happened to the moderate Joe Biden who ran as a moderate and seems to want to govern as a far-left progressive who threw in the, with the progressives against the moderates in the House or even in the, in the Senate? Now, those uh, Problem Solvers Caucus or Blue Dogs like Josh Gottheimer and others, some of whom are retiring. Stephanie Murphy just announced in Florida that she's not running for office. The list of Democrats now retiring has actually grown quite long. Uh, Democrats in the House Committee chairman, 
who are hanging it up because they see the writing on the wall. As I said, politics is cyclical. We came into this year thinking that Democrats were had a steady advantage going forward because of some of the hangover of the Trump years. We went through January 6th, which is a huge trauma for the country, thinking that Republicans could just be totally wrote off as fringe and we would no longer, the political center would, could kind of disqualify them. Well, that hasn't happened either. And by the end of 2021, you have a Republican governor of the state of Virginia, the Harbinger bellwether state that holds its gubernatorial elections in the off-off year. And in New Jersey, Phil Murphy almost lost. And perhaps with a little more support and a little more money, he actually, for his for Jackson Dorelli, maybe even a little more time, they would have lost. So what is it that happens? I mean, what is it that we have to look at takeaways and look at the year as it's been? Uh, I would be remiss if not talking at the top of the show of the downfall, of the total downfall of one Andrew Cuomo, former governor of the state of New York. Did Anybody think we'd be closing out the year talking about Andrew Cuomo as the former governor and now essentially a wide open race in 2022? Yes, everybody says, oh, Kathy Hochul, she's got lots of money. She's got lots of um, leads in the Democratic primary poll. Tish James dropped out. Uh, I don't believe at this point that you could say that Kathy Hochul is a shoo-in for governor, even a shoo-in for the primary. You actually have to run. You actually have to go through the rough and tumble. And she really has not had a true competitive race. The ones that she has had, uh, certainly not statewide. Yes, she did have a competitive race to Jamani Williams, but that was with Andrew Cuomo at the top of the ticket last time. Now she's leading the ticket. And let's see. But that really started going back in January of last year when Tish James released a report criticizing Cuomo and the administration of the handling of nursing homes at the onset of COVID-19, that they fudged the numbers, that they undercounted nursing home deaths. And that was followed, of course, in the August bombshell report of sexual harassment allegations, uh, which led Cuomo to resign on August 10th. And actually announced he was resigning from office, but of course that was the key factor. So, look, what happened with regard to Cuomo is just astounding when you think about it. The fact is that so many people in Albany loathed the man, but he ruled by fear in a in a environment like this where there should be tremendous transparency and the ability to get information around, for whatever reason, all the bullying that came from Andrew Cuomo, all the all the lying particularly about nursing home deaths and the famous March 25th, 2020 order 
telling nursing homes that they had to take COVID patients, which likely killed thousands, which Cuomo, of course, and his administration continued to deny any culpability whatsoever. It kind of started with that. Some in Albany decided that they could finally speak up about the emperor, about the way he governed, about the tactics that he employed, about the fear and intimidation. I don't know if you had this in other states. And it's interesting that it would happen in New York, given the level of media scrutiny that we had. I mean, the $5.1 million book deal. Where, where does that get done? And how does that get done? And yes, now that's being clawed back, potentially. Because there's still an argument as to how, but how do you, how do you justify that as a governor to take that kind of money for doing your job? And then, of course, we know he had his own staff work on it while being paid by us. We, of course, know that he fudged the nursing home numbers and the statistics on COVID deaths in order to make sure that there was nothing embarrassing for the release of the book. And guess what? Once again, nobody bought the book. In fact, they pulled it. Kind of his last book was not such a great seller. $5.1 million. It's not the president. It's Andrew Cuomo. It's not the first book he wrote. It wasn't even a memoir. So, another downfall of a major Democrat... Now, it's kind of wild when you think about that we started off with January 6th. And we got we to talk about January 6th for a second. And we got to talk about how, you know, it has kind of colored everything that's gone on in the country right now, uh, in our politics in Washington. It's kind of like this idea, politically, either you believe that Joe Biden won the election or you don't. Although I don't subscribe to that. I think there are plenty of people in the middle who said that Joe Biden won the election, yet they don't particularly like him politically. They don't particularly like the Democrats politically. It seemed that it, sh- it should be possible. It should be possible for that to happen. And of course, you have the January 6th commission that continues to plot along. 300 plus witnesses, they've got documents, they've et cetera. They're, they're, they're moving along. And they're kind of getting to a place, I think, that's creating a lot of vulnerability for Republicans, members of Congress, who seem to have had a lot of communication with the organizers of the rally and those as well who were in the war room, quote-unquote, at the World Hotel, looking for the legal means, or maybe quasi-legal, but in the legal terms, not what I'm saying is not the protesting, rioting way to stop the election of Joe Biden on January, well, it would have been January 6th when they met on January 20th. Now, let's just go back for a second, and because a lot of people say to me, of course, there was fraud and there was lots of fraud and there were fraud. Yes, there is fraud when it comes to elections. Uh, the question is, you know, some people will cheat. Some people will vote with ballots that are not theirs. Some people will vote on behalf of those. But can it be thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands 
And my answer is generally this. In order to do that and to have hundreds of thousands of votes to be counted or not to be counted in whatever sense, it would require a conspiracy so vast with so many people on board, with so many people to participate, it's impossible for me to think in a free society such as ours that you could keep it quiet amongst so many people for so long. And as far as what happened on the 20th, I mean, there were 60-plus court cases. Yeah, oh, well, I don't believe the courts. That's usually the response. There were 60-plus court cases that came and they lost every single one of them maybe if President Trump had had a better legal team maybe if it wouldn't have been Sidney Powell and I think we all know I think we've all seen that Sidney Powell is out there and I mean way out there in fact she's actually been blamed like Peter Bernavaro this week blamed her for the fact that they lost all the legal cases. You know, if they said, if not for her and her craziness, maybe we would have won some. I'm paraphrasing. But the point here is that they lost in all these cases because they didn't provide evidence. That's what most of the judges said. There was no evidence to show that there was fraud on the scale that would have overturned the election or that would have mattered in the election. And let's look no further than the fact that Republicans got elected in many cases, in many races, just the president did not. Because Republicans won in many of these areas, but the president did not. Like Detroit, for example, President Trump got more votes in the city of Detroit in Wayne County than he in 2020 than he did in 2016. That's not evidence of fraud. That's just evidence of the fact that he ended up losing Michigan because he lost the suburbs and lost them badly and lost them much worse than he did in 2016. It's just a fact. Now, you want to go ahead and say President Trump was the greatest president, and you want to go ahead and say that he <clears throat> it's impossible that he would have lost because he got seven more a record number of votes except for Joe Biden, in fact, got more. Okay, well, look, you can have that theory. But in the end, it's got to be backed up with some facts, and the facts are not there. But back to January 6th, the watershed moment right now. And uh, a judge said this past week what some of the January 6th defendants have had this defense that the selective prosecution, the reason that the Justice Department didn't prosecute the rioters in Portland. I think you have to step back. We should all agree that attacking the U.S. Capitol and invading the houses of Congress is just a different animal than riding on the streets of Portland. Neither one of them should happen. Neither one of them are good. But there's just something altogether qualitatively different. So one more figure, of course, uh, no longer in power is Benjamin Netanyahu. Of course, we, as you know, we cover Israeli politics, and who would have thought at the beginning of 2021 that not only would BB have four elections, right? Finally, they figure out a coalition to get him out of power, and it is the most strangest, I think, political coalition possibly ever. It includes the far right to the far left in Israel, and it's as well as, for the first time, an Arab party, Ram, 
which I think has totally changed the paradigm of Israeli politics right now. And this coalition seems to have be lasting. They've passed the budget. And will they get to the point where Yair Lapid becomes prime minister in 2023? We shall see. The right seems to be doing everything they can to delegitimize and get rid of this coalition. But yeah, uh, they talk about the fact the Arab parties and uh, Mansour Abbas is in there. Now, let's not forget, folks, that the person who gave the Hashgacha, the Heksher, to bringing Mansour Abbas into the government was Netanyahu himself. He made it acceptable because he was negotiating with him and trying to bring him in because so many of his allies on the right would not become part of a Netanyahu government. So, in that case, yeah, can't really blame Bennett for taking the political opportunity that was presented to him, but it was also incredible about the fact that he has seven seats leading a Knesset of 120 members, or even leading a coalition of 61 members, which is really uh, wild when you have one of the smallest parties leading the way, only in Israel. I think both Biden right now and Bennett uh, have the critical, critical task of combating this Omicron wave of Corona. We thought 2021, who would have thought we'd get to the end of the year? I'm thinking that Corona is still with us, not just with us, but seems to be totally, totally back. Um, you know, I don't know what to, who knows? It's just be safe out there. Be smart. Be smart. If 2021 is a, another year for people trying to dismiss science, dismiss reality when it comes to science and medicine, get vaccinated, get boosted. The numbers are, yes, you might still get corona, but the numbers of hospitalizations of people who are va- vaccinated versus unvaccinated is an order of magnitude. And think about that. Think about the vulnerability that you might have if you do not get vaccinated. Okay, well, let's just talk about a couple things as we close out, a couple people. And I think first and foremost, uh, the person that I want to focus on for a second about a person who is no longer with us and passed away in 2021 is Harry Reid. Harry Reid, uh, and just happened this week, the Senate Majority Leader, the Democrats passed through Obamacare, and other things mostly ended the filibuster when it came to judges, federal judges and Supreme Court judges. And if you're a liberal out there, you probably applauded it at the time. And you probably said, wow, this is great. Harry Reid is so courageous. He's going ahead and ending the filibuster. Any type of, you know, we can do one party rule when it comes to all this stuff. And it was always, you know, Mitch McConnell was sitting there on the sidelines and said, be careful what you wish for. And yes, we all... All those people on the left, they blame Mitch McConnell and say, oh, the boogeyman, the terrible man of politics, the evil right-winger who's getting all these conservative judges. Well, that only happened and was made possible because of a Democrat, because of Harry Reid. And, you know, if you want to talk about dirty politics, um, you know, dirty politics... 2012, Harry Reid, and I give credit to politi- to people who are willing to go and fight 
in politics. There's nothing wrong with that if you're willing to accept the consequences of it. But Harry Reid in 2012 went on the Senate floor, the floor of the United States Senate, and said, recorded for posterity, that Mitt Romney has not paid taxes in the past decade. Now, that might presage a Republican candidate of 2016 who seemed to have that also, but it wasn't true. And Harry Reid had no evidence whatsoever to say that it was true. Of course, Mitt Romney then released his tax returns eventually, and Reid was wrong, but it didn't matter because the narrative out there was that Mitt Romney was this rich guy who put a lot of people out of work in his in his business and paid no taxes at the same time. Asked about it, Harry Reid said, I was always willing to do things that others were not willing to do. And he said, Reid, Romney didn't win, did he? And I think that summed it up. I mean, that is essentially why you have a guy who was able to lead the Senate, but lead us into an era of really poisonous politics in the Senate. And if you want to know why it's really poisonous now under Mitch McConnell, you have to look back and see where that trust ended with under Harry Reid. And truthfully, I know we look at the Obama years as this you know, kind of wonderful utopian days of centrist governance. It was uh, not. That was not. And that is the backlash that you have. You, know, you always look at, if you want to understand what happened in a certain administration, you have to look at what follows it. And that is a truism as much as politics is cyclical. So as we mentioned Harry Reid, let's talk about some of the other politicos or those that shaped our public life uh, who have passed on in the year 2021. Uh, Bob Dole, one of the uh, greatest of the greatest generation, a man uh, personified public service. Colin Powell, same. Walter Mondale, former vice president, presidential candidate. Don Rumsfeld, well, certainly will have a mixed legacy, um, but a man devoted to public service. Uh, Rush Limbaugh. One of the forerunners, I guess, of today's conservative politics, conservative movement. I mean, one of the really tremendous, tremendous influence of talk radio on the Republican Party uh, cannot be diminished. And, uh, you know, as I said, with regard to, like Harry Reid, the scorched earth politics that Limbaugh uh, personified and. You know, Harry Reid, uh, bare-knuckled, if you will. You know, it's funny. Bare-knuckled was, always seemed to be like a compliment with certain people. Um, but I guess when you actually get down and you really take the gloves off, it's not as pretty as one might have thought. Uh, Democratic stalwart like Vernon Jordan uh, was a confidant of the Clinton's civil rights leader, uh, one of the most well-known African-Americans in Washington, George Saltz, Secretary of State, a great friend of Israel, and uh, Sheldon Adelson. Well, what could be said about Sheldon? Uh, actually, I think really transformed in so many ways the pro-Israel bent of the Republican Party. Not that the Republican Party hadn't been pro-Israel, but it was in a different way Uh and it wasn't it was it wasn't purely through the money that 
Sheldon provided to candidates. It was through the organizations that he created and was able to mobilize grassroots. People don't put enough stock in organizations like the uh, Israel America Council, which has huge uh, gatherings of Israelis, of uh, American Israelis, uh, former Israel expats living here. Um, thousands would show up. And the way he also uh, funded uh, evangelical support for Israel. And just through force of personality and the way he went about things with newspapers and media and the whole effort to support those who were pro-Israel uh, is, I think, will leave a lasting mark on our politics. You know, there are so many people who, you know, come and go 2021, but I think we also have to look also at, uh, you know, 2022. Oh, one more a great Jewish figure of Washington, Carl Levin, senator from uh, Michigan. His brother served in Congress. Uh, one of the old-time Jewish, very identifiably Jewish members of the Senate, uh, or of Congress in general, who really, uh, you know, kind of that grew up in that New Deal, Roosevelt type era, uh, and, you know, cared very much about the Jewish people, cared very much about Israel. I think that that was a, you know, it's kind of an era that's gone by to some degree. You know, it's a much more hot button issue in the Democratic Party, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, we've lamented that here on the show over the course of this year. Although I will say, um, you know, though the progressives were definitely ascendant, and we talked about this a couple times, but I think the 2022, certainly, if they're entering 2022, they got to think a little bit more about whether their far-left brand of progressive politics, of anti-Israel rhetoric, anti-America rhetoric, uh, you know, this... Uh, idea of ephemeral idea of justice um you know what that's a good time to talk for two seconds about i think two trials especially at the end of 2021 that kind of shaped things uh, number one kyle rittenhouse which uh you know should have been tried should have been tried tragic situation i think i've said this before kyle rittenhouse should not have been there 17 years old shouldn't have been carrying an assault rifle um yeah, that's not really my decision. That's not really whether it's illegal, but that's you know wasn't. But shouldn't put yourself. I mean, we we know the, the Talmudic dictum: don't put yourself into sakana. I mean, it's it's no question about it. Um, should not have been there. But the idea that he would be tried and then called a white supremacist and kind of pushed into the white supremacist camp, which is kind of sad. You see him now going, um, you know, making those types of appearances. But being cheered as like this hero, uh, you know, he's a scared kid who shot some people and he's got to live with that. And he killed them. And they're dead. And yes, they were, some of them were unsavory people. And I think that the trial was, you know, kind of like everything, depending on, you know, how sensational you are and how willing you are to kind of go into your corner and always only be in the corner of the people that you get along with, uh, you know, People on the right go to their corner, and Democrats go to their corner instinctively, and then nobody can actually meet in the middle. 
but uh, that's really uh, it was really a sad commentary the way that divided. But hope, I think fortunately the law w- was kind of clear as to what self defense meant and whether he was entitled to it, and he was clearly threatened. And we'll leave it at that. And then we have the Arbery case down in Georgia, which seems to certainly fit the bill of the classic, you know, white men getting away with murder or trying to get away with murder because that case might not even be prosecuted if not for video that was taken and shown that uh, three men really without grounds detained and stopped and then shot and killed a, a black man who was just jogging. Maybe he shouldn't have been there. I mean, that's, well, that's the United States of America. I mean, shouldn't be there. That's unfortunate. But uh, those two trials, you know, kind of, I think, showed that justice can be done. And uh, I think that we have to look at that as a instructive that our system does work, continues to work, and it's an imperfect system, but it's a wonderful system. Let's uh, talk about 2022 as we run out of time. 2022, I mean, what do we have to look forward to? Well, you know, the midterms, obviously, that's going to be a big thing. And, you know, it's amazing because our political cycle does not allow really for any type of breath to get stuff done. You wonder why things can't get done in Washington. Well, you have an election, then you have the midterms. And everybody just cares about the election and everything will stop. You know, where, you know, where do we go from here? I think the, you know, Biden administration is trying to get things done. I think that there's a lot of things hanging over them. You know, build back better. Let's see what happens. Uh, you still have the aftermath from po- foreign policy perspective of the Afghanistan debacle, and there might be hearings with regard to that. Uh, it's still shameful as to what happened there. It's still shameful to what we've done to our allies and the incompetence. And this was supposed to be the A team, and I think that that's a lot of things that the people on the Biden side they ignore. Uh, what did the Supreme Court do? What are they going to do about abortion? And this is the hot, you know, hot button issue. Um, what about you know other uh, decisions that are coming about? And January sixth, where does that commission go? Criminal cases, seven hundred criminal cases right now proceeding. Fifty sentences so far. COVID. <laughs> Need I say any more? How many more variants can we go through? How many more restrictions, etc. And then we have uh, who will run in 2024, and it's already going on. I mean, will Biden run and will Trump run? We, we really don't know. And we're, and who is waiting in the wings? There are so many who are waiting in the wings right now to see what happens with them. So uh, just, you know, the two, well, the most absurd moment of the year, and I'm going to stop with this, was the Ben and Jerry's uh, interview on Axios, which... Uh, you know, Ben and Jerry is basically accused of singling out Israel and then basically admit that they, both Ben and Jerry, basically single out Israel. You know, what do you do about all the other countries that, uh, or in the United States that, uh, with Georgia, violating vote, voting rights? And the response was, well, I don't know. Um, but I want to close with this because I think it's really disgusting and needs to be pointed out. Um, Keith Olbermann, his tweet about the Romney family, Romney family, you know, large beautiful family, 25 grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and uh, tweeting out a Christmas message to the world, Um, you know, fine, nice, wonderful religious message to everybody. Keith Olbermann takes that as an opportunity to vulgarly essentially say, this is a reason, give these people some vasectomies. 
uh, basically saying you shouldn't have kids. Well, Keith Olbermann doesn't have kids. I mean, he's just as was pointed out by a Jack McGuire from Barstool Sports. Keith Olbermann has no children, just an empty penthouse near Central Park where he yells at people about vaccines all day like the Scrooge. And I don't want to say that this is a difference between conservatives and liberals. This is not about that. This is just a difference about people about people who see the world only through themselves as opposed to seeing it through their children and their grandchildren and their progeny. And I, I take pride, you know, as a Jew, as a uh, one who cares about the generations, who father, grandfather, who gets, has the nachas. And, you know, unfortunately, Keith Holman will never have nachas because he has no children. And he will not have grandchildren, and he will not have great-grandchildren at this rate. And if he criticizes others for doing that, it's shocking, it's upsetting, and you know, it's not liberal conservative. I mean, it happens to be a liberal, but it's just sad. It's sad. It's sad that this has become our politics in some way, and he's representative of that. We can disagree without being vulgar and disagreeable. That's it for this week and this year here on Spin Class here on the Knockham Siegel Network. Stay tuned for June the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week.